What's up? My name is Paul. It's always weird when people clap before you talk because what if it sucks? And then you just wasted all that. So, um, no, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Really thrilled. And uh, if we've never met, I'd love the chance to meet you before uh, before you leave tonight. So um, you're not supposed to say this when you, like, lead a church, but 710 is my favorite ministry in the whole place. This is my favorite community by far. Um, so... Please don't tell uh, the old folks that met this morning. I love them too, but I just, I love you guys more. Um, yeah, so you're, <laughs> you're in a series right now called uh, Life, It's Not a Game. And so they asked me if I would come and speak on dating. And then we'll get into relationships a little bit here too. But uh, there's a couple things that uh, just kind of have to be stated. Um, that these are kind of like just like uh, caveats that you just need to know first. So I'm not currently dating. I've been married for 15 years. Um, and and um, are you guys are you going to clap for everything? Because this could be a this could be a long <laughs> this could be a this could be a long talk. Um, so uh, and a lot has changed since I was dating. So I've never created a Tinder profile, and I hope I never have to. But I, I hope I hope I can still bring something that will be helpful. Um, another thing, too, would be to talk about just uh, we need to just acknowledge the awkwardness of it all, the awkward of dating in the in like Christian culture, weird stuff. Um, someone was saying to me before she was saying she's like, why can't there just be somebody who loves the Lord, likes you back and isn't weird? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've just never I've never encountered that scenario in my years of ministry. Um, and then, you know, as when I was uh, pastoring 710, I, w I honestly loved it, loved it when uh, two people would find each other in this community and start dating. I loved it and I hated it at the same time because it was like, okay, this is either going to work out and they're going like, to get married or uh, I'm never going to see one of them again because there's always something. And I always thought that was really weird because I was like, you know, like there's so there the world has a particular way of dating. And as Christians, we're supposed to be a counter-culture community, meaning, like, we're supposed to, like, actually look different than culture. But you guys, we were all doing the same thing, and it all ended the same way. And I thought that wasn't just really great. So so we're going to just kind of um, acknowledge just kind of, like, the awkwardness of the Christian community. If you're And if you're not a Christian and you're here because you thought, like, well, I just want to kind of fish in a different pond, you really don't know what you got yourself into. So um, <laughs> it's not what you think it is. But um, – now, the other thing, too, there's a lot of disclaimers, I'm sorry, uh, but the Bible does not talk about dating, so, uh, but it does talk about our relationships with one another, so this teaching is going to be wisdom from the Bible applied to this context, um, and then the last thing that I want you, well, there's two last things, <laughs> one would be that uh, God and us as leaders uh, are very pro-relationship, so if you've got this kind of picture that, like, God's not into you, like, being with each other, that's not he created it and he desires that and we uh, as people who love you and want to just serve you with our lives we also want to see that happen too so romance companionship marriage sex all from God all of its good and its best experience in accordance to God's design and we just want to help kind of share what that is with you and then last thing like if you came thinking that tonight was going to be like the one dating talk to rule them all this is not it uh, this is a part of a long conversation that hopefully gets worked out in communication and in, uh, in community. So I want to start with a quote from a guy named David Brooks. He's a columnist for The New York Times. He wrote an article called uh, The Social Frontier Facing the New Modern Single. 
so he's talking about young adults and just kind of like what, what it looks like uh, for where you guys. He says, uh, he's talking about y'all. He says, they hit puberty around 12, and many don't get married until they're past 30. That's two decades of coupling, uncoupling, hooking up, relationships, and shopping around. This period isn't a transition anymore. It's a sprawling life stage, and nobody knows the rules. Sound familiar? So it got really quiet here. No more clapping. Okay. Um, <laughs> he says, once young people came a calling as part of courtship, and then they had dating and going steady, but the rules of courtship have dissolved. They've been replaced by ambiguity and uncertainty. Cell phones, Facebook, and text messages uh, give people access to hundreds of friends that only increases the fluidity, drama, and anxiety. So that article's written, you know, obviously like a few years ago because he's talking about Facebook. No one's on Facebook anymore. But, um, and but, but when, when he wrote that and when I read that, uh, I was like, you know what? Unfortunately, that really does describe a lot of the conversations that I have uh, with many of you. Like words like uh, ambiguity and uncertainty and drama and all this kind of anxiety that gets that gets produced. So there was a somebody on Twitter wrote like, "This is the adventure of Christian dating. One date means I'm either going to be engaged in three weeks or I'll never talk to this person again." And unfortunately, that is a really common uh, scenario. And it makes me sad that something that really should be associated with words like fun or exciting um, are really more described as sad or exhausting and stressful. And it really shouldn't be like that. And and the reality for many of you in the room um, that sometime in your 20s, uh, you will go through this process of dating and you will meet someone and maybe potentially be married in your 20s or even in uh, your 30s. Um, but what we need help with and what I want to try to do in the next little bit here, uh, and then if, if I don't go too long, we'll have time for a little bit of Q&A at the end, but, but uh, is help with what are some rules to this process of, of dating. And uh, when I did this talk a few years ago, that the title was How Do We Date Right? and a swipe right culture. Um, and so that's what I want to be able to do um, is kind of give you some ways that you can date right in a swipe right culture. Um, and, and because the lack of just the intentional dating process really adds to the stress of, of what it is. So I want to give you my definition for dating, um, if you take notes or if you care. Um, this, this is how we're I'm going to define dating uh, through the rest of this talk. So dating is a process of evaluating a person where if you discover if they are a good fit for you to link with for the rest of your life. That's pretty romantic, wouldn't you say? Uh, dating is a process of evaluating a person where you discover if they're a good fit for you to link with for the rest of your life. So dating is a process, and that's really intentional language because process has movement to it. Um, it's a series of actions unto a predetermined end. The problem is so often we treat dating like a status that we sit in not a process that we move through. Here's what I mean by that. Like, uh, 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 oh, many of us, we've so kind of like I either idolized or glamorized um, uh, uh, dating into like it's a status that we have to reach. It's like at Chick-fil-A, like I got to get to like red level or silver level, whatever. Like, no one likes Chick-fil-A. Okay, I'm a, I'm a pastor. We have to eat there. Sorry. Christian chicken is the only thing we're allowed to eat. Um, so, but we treat date, dating like this status that like we have to get to rather than a process that of evaluation that we're actually moving through. It's meant to have movement to an end. So let me pray uh, and just ask God to help us here um, so we can, we can work through this. So just help. Let's pray and ask God to help. Father, we love you. And God, uh, just that, that very last song that we sang, Father, that you'd change us from the inside out. I do pray that, God. And uh, that only happens through your spirit. And 
God, I, I know we're um, making jokes, but I also know that this, uh, this topic is really serious. Um, relationships are really serious, and God, for many of us, myself included, um, this particular topic um, does carry with it some, some pain and some trauma, and I'm, uh, God, I'm acutely aware of that tonight. So I'm asking you, by your spirit, God, to bring um, instruction and illumination. And God, in many ways, I'm, actually, I'm asking you to bring healing. Um, and God, where there are places where we've been wounded, God, I pray uh, that we would just uh, have an overwhelming awareness of you as the physician of not just our bodies, um, but God, of our mind and of our very souls. And so I'm praying that you would do that tonight. God, help us, uh, give me uh, the ability to communicate clearly um, and speak to us tonight. So the challenge um, with a talk like this is that the Bible really doesn't have a whole lot of verses. There's no verses about like Moses asking Zipporah out on a date to Chili's, right? It's a pastor Bible joke. <laughs> Not a very good one, apparently. Um, but the scriptures do have a lot to say about how we can evaluate our the relationships that we have. And so I want to lay out for you in this talk principles uh, that can guide you in a process of statement and, and process of dating. And I'm saying principles, not steps. And here's what I mean by that. And, and I know that you would love just like somebody to just give you like some instruction, somebody to just give you like a step-by-step -step instructional guide on how to date. Uh, uh, if I buy a desk at Ikea, I want step-by-step -step instructions, not a book on general principles regarding the properties of wood and metal and I want step-by-step -step instructions because I want to know precisely how to assemble a desk. But dating does not work this way because human relationships are too dynamic. They're, they're not the same. Um, I, I've heard it said that dating is more like sailing a ship across the ocean. So if you're doing something like that, steps don't work when you're crossing the ocean on a boat. You cannot get turn-by-turn -turn directions because the environment is too dynamic. And even if somebody did give you like a step-by-step -step book, it would just be the story of what worked for them at one time. And it's not always the same thing that you're going to encounter at your journey. So principles, however, teach you how to respond in different scenarios and challenges, how to use a compass, how to chart a course, how to navigate using your North Star th that kind of help you no matter what your scenario is. So principles are unchanging truths that you can, that you can use in ever-changing environments. Principles are unchanging truths that you can use in ever-changing environments. So I'm going to give you the first principle, uh, and that's like when you are dating, date with clarity. When you're dating, principle number one is date with clarity. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the hallmark of the people of Jesus is that we speak the truth in love. One of the statements that I use around here with our staff uh, is that clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness meaning the most loving thing that I can do is to be clear with you. So if there's something that is just not right in the relationship or there's a behavior or a way of thinking or a pattern in your life that I can clearly see this is not good. The most, the most loving thing that I can do is to clearly point that out to you. Uh, if I do, if I love you, right? So like I love my wife, I love my kids. Now do I just kind of walk around the house and like say, I want them to guess. I want them to like always be suspicious. You know, I just want it like, no, that is, that's torture, right? So I go over the top with them to tell them how much that I love them. I want them to know, I want, my, I want my kids to know always, I love you, I'm for you, I'm proud of you, I'm with you. Proverbs 24, 26 
uh, declares that an honest answer is a kiss on the lips. It's a sign of respect and love to tell someone the truth. Now, I have to say this because you'll get weird with it, because it does not mean that you tell someone every single thought that you have in your head, okay? Uh, because Proverbs celebrates prudence, which is weighing your words carefully. And so sometimes the first thing that pops to your head is not really what you should, uh, what you, what you should say. Proverbs 29.18 uh, says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29.18. The word perish can also mean unrestrained or out of control. Uh, it's talking about a scenario where no one is giving direction. People feel out of control. You ever been in any kind of relationship where there's just like, where is this going? It just feels like it's just like wandering and kind of meandering all over the place. When I was in uh, school, my um, degrees in uh, marketing and, and our classes were all these kind of like business groups, like we every, every all our projects and stuff were all these group projects. So when, when we had really good groups, it was when everybody knew exactly what was going on. We all knew the goal. Everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to do. We had really bad groups. It was like it was a free-for-all. Like this person's doing this thing. This person, No one really knew what we were all trying to do together. So clarity in the relationship is like there's a, there's a, there's, we're clearly uh, going in the same direction. So three important places of clarity uh, in dating. One is you need clarity and in initiation. Clarity and initiation, like when you start, it should be very clear that like, oh, we've actually started a relationship. <laughs> Sometimes you're in it and you're like, did this start? I don't even know what happened. How did we end up here, right? Uh, and uh, there was a national survey that indicated that only 12% of American women asked anyone out the previous year, okay? And it's not just Christians, right? This is like all across of America, right? So they asked a woman, have you asked anyone out in this past year? And only 12% said yes. So Whatever you believe about male-female roles in relationships, the data suggests that women want men to initiate. And according to recent polls, they prefer that you do it face-to-face. -face. So some like texting, some like calling. Don't get me started on the DM thing and the social media. That I don't get it, um, right? Are you trying to tell me something? Slide? Is that what you're trying to say? I know. I, kn I mean, I know what it is. I just am not like, okay. Um, now listen, I'm not saying that a woman cannot ask a man out. That's not at all what I'm saying. And sometimes you have to because they're clueless. You just like, they will never get it unless you do. But this is more of a message to men saying like, don't play games because you are afraid and insecure, right? Okay, I'll just let that sit there for a second, right? And don't be super aggressive like a, like a caveman, like <laughs> right, okay. And also, since we're on a subject, like most women do not want to be invited to just hang out because that's, what does that mean? It's just very ambiguous. You're like, you've really just kind of thrown him for a loop. You're like, hey, do you just want to hang out? And you're like, like me and you hang out, like you and Fortnite hang out and I watch, like what is, I don't, I don't get it. Sorry, we don't play Fortnite anymore. It's where we've moved on to Call of Duty, my bad, right? So when you use the word date, like would you like to go on a date? They at least know what they're getting into. So have clarity in the initiation. Just speak, speak clearly about what it is. Next, have clarity with your intentions. So have clarity with your initiation and clarity with your intentions, right? So, so this is, you should know this, but just, just don't play games. Like don't flirt, ask him out, and then text him two weeks later, right? That stuff, that whole stuff of like playing games and everything, that is for people with nothing better to do. And if you are a Christian, you are a person on a mission. Y you have something very important to do with your life. You have a God-given purpose 
for your life. You do not have time to waste your life. You don't have time to play games. In, in a world that does not have hope uh, without Jesus, you have an answer and you are joined with Jesus in the restoration of all things. You don't have time to mess around. So say what you mean um, and mean what you say. Be clear about the be clear about the process. Be clear about like what your what your the intentions are. Now this does not mean that like if you see a cute girl, you just walk up to and be like, I would like to start the process of evaluation now, <laughs> right? Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying here, right? It means that look, if you enjoy talking to her, you think she's fun to be around. Just ask her, hey, would you like to go to have uh, dinner, or would you like to go have coffee, or go on a hike? And then after that, it, uh, then ask her, would it be okay? Uh, if I call you and we actually do something like this again and then after a couple of dates if you get that far if we get that far she's going to start thinking things like okay that's when you need to say something like hey look I want you to know I'm really enjoying spending time with you I'm really not trying to get married like next week uh, but I'm also not wasting your time I've enjoyed getting to know you and and I think you're the kind of person I could see myself in the future so do you mind if I keep calling you and going to places with you and eating the food with you? Like, are you okay with that? Um, that's how you're clear about what the intention is. Um, and so, so you got to be clear about the initiation, clear about the intention. And then the last thing is give clarity about the exit. Give clarity about the exit. So it's important to be clear with each other. And again, this is the one that's the most difficult because this one feels like the hardest, right? Because it feels like the most unloving, but if clarity is kindness, this is actually the most loving part of this whole process. That it's, it, it's, it's important to be clear about how this might end because if at any time someone is not comfortable with how the relationship is going, there needs to be clarity about how it can end. So give them the right to say they feel like the relationship needs to stop. 1 Corinthians 14 says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So we as Christians, we graciously speak the truth in love to one another. So ladies, it means that you just don't freeze a guy out or ghost him just to avoid something potentially awkward. If you're not interested, you could say something like, you seem like a great guy. I just don't see this relationship going anywhere, but thank you for the invitation. Some of you need to, like, rehearse that because people have, like, said something to you and you just, like, all of a sudden, like, disappeared, right? So that's not a loving thing. I know you think, like, oh, if I got to tell them the truth, it, it might sting. Yes, I get it. I got it, right? But that's not a loving thing. Okay, so the first thing is you want to date with clarity. The second thing was would be to date with autonomy. The second principle is to date with autonomy. This one's going to take a little bit more explanation. So the Bible acknowledges a few relational categories. Uh, the first is the believer in Jesus Christ and a non-believer in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is very clear. Um, you just don't date across those lines because you have different allegiances and different directions that you are heading in in life. You're meant to love that person and to be kind to them, but your primary goal in their life is to see them have an eternal relationship with Jesus not a romantic relationship with you. So you don't date them. So the Bible talks about other relationships. Uh, within the circle of Christians, uh, you have a brother or a sister in Christ, right? So God has gloriously put this in. God bless you. God, God has gloriously put us together in this family. 
Um, or uh, the Bible recognizes husband and wife when you've crossed that line of making a covenant and marriage with one another. Um, and when you step into that covenant of marriage, the Bible says that you have a whole world of privileges and responsibilities uh, that open up to you that should not be a part of your relationship if you are just a brother or sister in Christ. Now, here's the problem, because in our culture today, we want to create another category that the Bible doesn't have called we're dating. That's my boyfriend. That's my girlfriend. And what we do when we're using those words is that we're creating a new category. We're creating a new category that's more than brother or sister in Christ, but less than husband and wife. And this new category gives me certain responsibilities and, and certain privileges. And so in essence, what we try to do is we try to make dating a status that we rest in or sit in and not a process that we move through. Now, the problem with creating this new category is the question, are, well, okay, well, what are the rules to that new category? And, and usually when we're dating someone, well, we kind of bump into the rules or we kind of make them up as we're going along or we kind of adopt rules from the culture that we try to kind of use uh, in, our, in, our own, in our own way. Or we assume uh, like that there are new privileges that we have in this relationship because now we have this new kind of category that we've moved into. So before, maybe she was just like an acquaintance, or maybe I did just see her as my Christian sister, or I did just see him as my Christian brother. But now that we moved into this new category, well, now I have the ability to touch her in certain ways uh, because she's my girlfriend, so I get more access to her physically, but not in public because that's weird. But when we're at home alone watching Netflix, yeah, then I have a little more access to her physically, right? And now my tongue gets to go in her mouth, right? So I can make it weird. You want it to get weird? It's going to get, I can, I'll do it. I'll make it super weird. Trust me. And so we create this new relationship that gives us these different responsibilities and privileges. The problem is, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this is not a problem for you, but if you're a Christian, the problem is the Bible does not recognize that status. And so the Bible does not recognize those new responsibilities that you think you have or that new privilege that you think you have. You're either brother or sister, or you're husband and wife. There is not an intermediate thing. And that's why so many of us get confused, because we make dating a status rather than a process. And there are so many questions that come up that don't make sense if you're thinking about dating as a status, right? So like when you're dating, one of the questions that you might be thinking is like, well, how do we keep our love alive? Well, if you're thinking about da dating as a process, that's that question doesn't even matter. If you're not feeling it, don't hang out with them. It's a process of evaluation. Don't, do not stay in dating. Do not stay in a, in a thing where you're trying to evaluate if it's, if it's not working. Don't try to force it by trying to make some kind of like love alive. The, the most common question um, that revolve around this kind of conversation um, would be around how, how much is uh, permissible in, in, the f in the physical world? Like how far can we actually go? How far is too far? Now, if you're married, if you're married, the Bible is very clear about this. So check this out. Proverbs 519. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Boom. Told you God loves marriage, right? So God, okay. If you're married, there you go. And there are also commands for the brother and sister in Christ that are pretty clear. So 1 Timothy uh, 5, Paul says to Timothy, treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. 
okay, well, what about my boyfriend? What about my girlfriend? There are no verses for that category because God doesn't acknowledge that as a category. So if I'm dating, I have to fall back to these texts like 1 Timothy 5. So if I'm using this kind of 1 Timothy 5 text and that's describing me as like a brother or sister, right? So now I have to ask the question, like how far uh, physically is too far with your mother? Or how far physically is too far with your sister or your brother, right? Getting weird. I like it. Um, so the Bible, now again, remember what I said at the beginning. God is all about relationships. It's all about marriage. It's all about sex. It's all stuff that he created, right? And the Bible, but the, but the Bible, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, for your good and for your joy draws a very hard line between what is permissible sexually. In marriage, much. In singleness, none. In dating, still none, right? So and, and some of you will be dating, you've been dating for a while, and you're like, okay, I'm listening to you, but we've been dating for a long time, and it's kind of like we're married. No, it's kind of like you're not, because you're not married, <laughs> right? Because when you seriously take on the weight of saying, I'm going to care for you until I die, that's a totally different weight that you don't carry when you're dating. And when you take on that weight in a relationship, it does afford you all kinds of privileges and shoulders you with all kinds of responsibility. So if you want all the privileges, but not all the responsibilities, God doesn't acknowledge that. And here's why. Because true love does not request access to your body while simultaneously avoiding any responsibility to care for you emotionally, spiritually, or financially. Doesn't exist. It's not romantic. It is dishonoring, and it is dehumanizing because it treats you like property and like a commodity that you can leave and swap out with no repercussions. Dating is not a way for you to maximize benefits and minimize obligations with a person. It is not romantic to use another person or to waste their time. Date to evaluate and evaluate as quickly as you can, but as long as it takes. So that's why you want a season of real evaluation in your dating that leads to a solid conclusion. Either we're a good partnership or we're not. And the way that you, uh, the way that you evaluate that is how, they is how they approach their relationship with Jesus. How do, they, how do they approach their battle or their struggle with sin? Do they, do they constantly give way to tempta temptation? Or are they in the fight? Do they have people with them that are holding up? Do they have a prayer plan about that, right? You do not want to date someone that is all drama. When, when Taylor says things, I knew you were trouble when you walked in, that is ridiculous. That is absurd, right? If you know that, do not get with that person, right? So do not date drama. You want someone, you want to marry somebody that you can go through the drama of life with. Do not date chaos. Do not marry chaos. You want to face the chaos of life with someone who is chasing after Jesus like you are. And if you're listening to all this and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I come tonight? I have to break up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And what a stupid night to show up at. Um, <laughs> listen, honestly, I, the point is not so much the terms boyfriend or girlfriend. I, d I don't care if you use those terms. What I care about is what you mean when you use those terms. 
And so if you are dating, be honest with yourself and with each other. And if you mean by boyfriend and girlfriend, this buys me certain privileges and a certain amount of access to this person, then I'm telling you it does not, at least not under God, maybe under some other kind of rule, maybe some other kind of rule that you make up, but not under God's rule. And you have a choice. You can live under God's rule. You can live under yours. And one of it will lead to ruin. The other leads to life. So if you do use those terms, remind yourself, I have no right to this other person's body. I have no claim on this person's life. This person is not mine. She's a daughter of God, my sister in Jesus, and I'm going to treat her that way. He's a son of God, my brother in Jesus, I'm going to treat him that way. The third principle this kind of ties together is this principle of purity. Now, I understand, like, trust me, I grew up in a church culture uh, that just did not approach this subject in a very healthy way. And so... I have had and wrestled with all kinds of like just kind of crazy baggage uh, just with uh, sexuality and purity and shame and guilt and all that kind of stuff. So that if that's you in the room, I'm very sympathetic uh, to that. But purity is, purity is really important for human flourishing. So like for your joy, that's why God has architected this. Uh, I, again, people just think that God's this big cosmic killjoy. He's not. Uh, he actually brings joy. Um, in many ways, he invented joy, so uh, he's, he's all about it. So, uh, and, and, and the, the big hang-up that, that most people have uh, with a Christian ethic of purity and dating is that the world will tell you that dating is the season where you're supposed to be able to figure out if you are sexually compatible. That's like, that's the version of dating that you are pitched to uh, by the world and by culture all the time. That's the season. That's where you, that's where you figure it out. Uh, and to me, it's really not a great argument. Um, and, and you think, well, okay, well, don't we have to, like, hook up to see if we are sexually compatible? That's the process that you're working through. So I, I just have a very kind of clear way to uh, help you with that. And the first question would be, like, okay, are, um, are, are you a guy? Uh, is, is she a girl? Um, and then just tell you it works. It fits. Um, it all works. There's a lot of research, actually, uh, that's been invested into that. To trust me, it goes together. And but what people are really trying to say there is they're not necessarily talking about compatibility. They're talking about technique. Uh, and I I, underst I understand that. And and so they're thinking, okay, well, well, what 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 if he's a, a bad kisser? Okay, let me just kind of tell you something. If you are pursuing a man of character. If you're pursuing a man who will care for you and listen to you and promise to love you in sickness and health, rich or poor, till death do you part. If you marry a man who makes all those promises to you, right, don't you think that he will be open to some pointers on how to kiss better? You don't like this, okay? <laughs> you marry character. So ladies, if you find a guy that is patient and gentle understanding and strong all of that character will translate to the bedroom and then if you marry a woman that is responsive and tender and patient and encouraging all of that character will translate into the bedroom and you will figure it out together which is what the most fun of first year of marriage is for right and if you think no we need to figure it out physically before we get married that is a really selfish way to think because what if what happens when you get married and something changes physically? Are, are you then you're gonna like just trade them out for somebody else because it just doesn't work the same like it used to? Um, introducing sex to the relationship sabotages the evaluation process. So again, if dating is a process of evaluation 
when you introduce sex into that equation, it, it sabotages your ability to think clearly. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Let me explain what Paul's talking about there. He, he then quotes the Old Testament, and, he's, and, he's, and he says, for it's written, the two become one flesh. What Paul is getting at, and this is why the Bible is so just like radically relevant, okay? Um, because he's talking about how God has actually designed humanity, like humans biologically, and how God has designed sexuality. Because he's saying, look, sex is more than just physical. Sex is more than just physical. It's meant for bonding. It's meant to bring two people together and not just in a physical way. And that's why sex outside the covenant or the commitment of marriage it dehumanizes people, meaning people are treated like a product or like a commodity that can be used and discarded and traded in. Um, this is kind of weird about me, but one of my favorite things is to rent cars. Um, so whenever like we like go on a family trip or have to rent a car or whatever, I always go to the counter and always ask like, hey, are there any like upgrades available? You know, and my wife's just like, oh, please not this again. Right. And so like I'll try to get like what about that Escalade? What you got? Was it ready to go? Yeah. So um, it's not. I'm usually in a minivan. But I try. I always try to get it. So, But w one of the other reasons I really love to rent cars is because I can drive it any way that I want. And if you've ever rented uh, a car, you kind of know this. Maybe you get scared because you're afraid of, like, the insurance thing or whatever. I'm not afraid of that. Um, but And so I, I, I drive, like, just wild. I, would dr I drive it like I would never drive my car. You know why? Because it's not mine. I can do whatever I want in that car. I can just turn it in. In fact, there have been sometimes I've driven a car just like crazy. I didn't like it. Two hours later, I took it back and got another one, right? You think I'm nuts, right? So sex outside a covenant of marriage, you are treating that other person like that rental car. I can just do whatever I want. If I don't like it, I'll just trade it in. I'll just get another one. And there is a part of our culture that really glamorizes that. There's a part of our culture that really like, it like turns it into like a trophy, right? But it dehumanizes people. It, it takes the pinnacle of God's creation and turns it into something that's disposable. That's not why Jesus died for people. Because Jesus doesn't think that way about people. And if you're a Christian, that should not be the way that you think about people. The other thing to know is that a lack of self-control in your dating will translate into a lack of self-control in your marriage. So if you're dating and there's a lack of self-control and you just think like, this is kind of just like right now, but like when I grow up, it won't be like this. Let me just tell you something. You are creating patterns right now that just don't magically go away when you say I do. You're creating patterns in your relationship and you need to ask yourself, do I really want to marry somebody who has a lack of self-control? Do I want to marry someone who, like, right now, like, they're consistently pushing the boundaries on what they know is wrong? Do you really want to live with someone like that for the rest of your life? Someone who makes a habitual pattern of pushing against? Because where does that stop? Where does that stop? And some of you, sadly, some of you have experienced what that looks like with your parents. Because you had parents who had a lack of self-control. And they're no longer your parents anymore. Or they're no longer husband and wife anymore. So often, um, 
we will work from this perspective of how close to the line we can get, meaning like how close to temptation, how, how, how close to the edge we can get. We never really ask the question, well, how close to holiness can we be in our relationship? How, how godly do you think we could be in this relationship? And, and again, if you push the boundaries in dating, you will push the boundaries in marriage. Um, but what Paul's talking about here is like sexuality is not just something that we do to feel good. It is, but it's meant for bonding. It's meant uh, to bring us, and there's biology that backs this up. So when you connect with somebody physically, your body gets a spike uh, of a chemical do called dopamine. It's in the limbic system of your brain begins to associate that person which you're with, with the release of these chemicals, and so it seeks out that person. So when you physically connect with a person, your, your body reduce, re releases this chemical, it triggers something in your brain, and now when you see that person, like it's like you, you begin to have like this addiction to that person because you have that physical experience. So when you break up, your brain kind of goes into this like panic mode and the, and the fight or flight response of, the, of, of cortisol and uh, adrenaline kicks in because you've made yourself physically addicted to that person. And when you do that, it messes up your ability to evaluate that person properly. What Paul is trying to say here, and, and I'll try to make this really simple, we are not meant to wire ourselves to each other chemically and then tear each other apart. So if you've, if you've experienced sexual relationships with multiple people, and I've, I've talked to lots of uh, like people in counseling about this, you, you will feel, if you're honest, you will feel like I left a part of me with each person that I was with sexually. And God created that to work with one person forever, which is beautiful. Like, I'm shared with that person. When we do it outside the context of a covenant that lasts forever, um, it's, it's, it's tragic because it means that I have, like, little pieces of me all over the place with all these people because God's designed us for that moment of, of bonding. Um, so when you introduce sexuality into the relationship, it makes you stay in a relationship that you shouldn't be in, and it makes the breakup way more painful because you are ultimately giving more than just your body. You are giving more of yourself to somebody, and it wasn't the right somebody. Now, uh, there's so much more uh, to be said about this, and honestly, uh, th this needs its own message, and that's not what this is. But I have to say this real quick, and then we're, we're, we're almost done, I hope. Um, because I know that for many of us in the room, this topic with it carries I, just a ton of baggage. And in your life, uh, you might have some guilt and some shame that's associated with you because of your past or maybe even your current sexual failures and, and sin. I will tell you, honestly, my biggest regrets the deepest places of guilt and shame in my own personal life stem from places of sexual sin and failure. Um, if you, Adam and Eve, if, if you don't know the story, so Adam and Eve in, in the garden, they sin against God in Genesis. And if you've ever kind of like seen pictures of Adam and Eve, like, you know, once they, they sin, um, they are hiding, uh, they, they hide from God. And the, and the scripture says that they kind of tie some fig leaves around themselves. So when they make those fig leaves close, like what, what, where do they cover up? You're like, are we supposed to talk about this in church? I think you might. Um, where, where do Adam and Eve cover up with the fig leaves? Their private parts, right? Good job. Um, in our house, we call them the bathing suit parts. Um, 
So with my kids, not with my wife. We have the other boys. God, I shouldn't say. So um, <laughs> I know I was so I was getting so close. I gotta I gotta wrap it up. Um, okay, why do they cover those parts? Because if you know the story, that those aren't the parts that they sinned with. Those aren't the parts that they sinned with. They ate the fruit. They sinned with their mouth. They sinned with their hands. They took the fruit and they and they ate it. But why do they cover up those parts? Satan attacks us at our core identities as individuals and in our most intimate ways of connecting to God and connecting to each other. And so when you sin sexually, it goes at your core identity of who you are as a person and the core, most intimate way that you can connect with another person. Last thing I just want to say real quick about this topic if that's you, if you're sitting here tonight, if you're like me, and you would say, my area of deepest regret is certainly in this area of sexual sin and failure. Grace, mercy, forgiveness are all available in and from Jesus. And the invitation of the gospel is to turn from your sin, to call out to Jesus, and walk in freedom. Jesus is in the business of taking shame away. It's what he does. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message that we preach about, sing about, hold on to around here. And if you're thinking, man, I'm listening to this, and this like godly person of character that you're talking about, uh, they would not be interested in me. I will never find a good Christian person because of my past or because of my failure. And listen to me. If that person isn't willing to marry you because of your past, you can say good riddance to them because they are not like Jesus. Jesus loved us when we were broken, and you want a, gr you want a gracious, grace-filled, mercy-extending, forgiveness-extending spouse, because that spouse is like Jesus. Now listen, that does not mean it's a blank check to just keep on sinning, right? Because the Bible talks about that. But it means, Lord, I want to pursue and chase after you in the way that you've designed relationship to work. Okay. Last thing um, is to date in community. Date in community. So we date with clarity, we date with autonomy, we date with purity, and we date in community. It is wise to allow other people that you trust into the conversation so that they can provide wisdom throughout the whole process. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, 6, with many counselors, victory is sure. So what the Bible is teaching there, what the wisdom writer is saying is getting the right voices in your life can keep you from spending too much time with the wrong person. Getting the right voices in your life can keep you from spending too much time with the wrong person. And not only can they keep you from dating the wrong person, they can help you to identify the right one. So in the Song of Solomon, which is the book in the Old Testament that's all kind of like, it's all about love, right? So in the beginning, it begins with this woman and uh, speaking, and, and she says, let, let, me, let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his, of his mouth, right? So uh, the book opens, she's already infatuated with this guy. And when you get infatuated with someone, you lose your clear thinking. And when you meet this woman at the beginning of Song and Song, uh, that's where she's at. She's totally infatuated. She said, let, let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She's looking at this dude. She's like, I want his mouth on my mouth, right? So, but you see as the book begins to progress, uh, there are four different people who speak in, in Song of Solomon. So you, you 
see the woman, the man, God, and her friends. And you see her friends as she's talking about this infatuation that she has with this guy. And when it's his friend's turn to speak, uh, they, they, say, they, they say, listen, we love you, um, and we are not, like, infatuated with this guy, so we can speak impartially. Uh, and he is a right, inf- uh, and we can tell you whether or not he's the right or proper person for you to set your affections on. And, and, and some of you, some of you, you get involved with people uh, and all your friends and all your counselors and all the people who are wise in your life. They, they say to you, look, this does really not look like a great fit, but you're so infatuated that you actually, instead of cutting that person out, you start cutting out all the people who tell you, I don't know if you should be with them. I don't know if you should date them. Right. And the Bible says that's a big mistake. So the instruction is get wise, loving people around you. And, and let them evaluate and tell you what they see. So uh, it's good to date in community. All right, I said that with the, the last one. This really is the last one, uh, but it'll go quick. Uh, and the last thing is to date patiently. Date patiently. Um, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. And what he's saying there, he's talking about leadership in the church, and he says, look, like, don't be in such a rush to give that person a bunch of responsibility, a bunch of leadership in, in, the, in the church. Um, and, he, and he will explain it a little more. He says, don't appoint people to church leadership positions too hastily. If a person is involved in some serious sins, you don't want to become an unwitting accomplice. Even in, in any event, keep a close check on yourself. The sin, listen to what he says, the sins of some people are blatant and march them right into court. The sins of others don't show up until much later. The same with good deeds. Some you see right off, but some are hidden forever. So what he's trying to say, and what this is how you apply this in dating. There are going to be some uh, where it's, it's, it's really obvious, like, ah, I shouldn't be with that person. But then there's others where, like, the sins just kind of, like, come out, like, Later, And then there's going to be other people who are like, I don't really know much about them. But the more time that you spend with them, you start to see like, oh, there's actually uh, a lot that's kind of coming out. There are also some other people where they're at first they'll come across as like, oh, man, they're really charming or they're really polite or they're really gifted. It's like Frozen, right? So remember Frozen, right? The dude shows up. He appears to be great. And you're all like, love is an open door, right? And the next thing you know, he wants to murder you and take all your money. So you have to watch out for these people. So, like, we are so quick to rush after Prince Hans, um, and when Kristoff is right around the corner, I got little girls being frozen a lot of times, right? So the, the idea here is wait long enough to, to date someone until you see their, their true character. So um, my wife and I, we dated for five years before uh, we were married, and we had our fair share of failures and disasters for sure. Um, but we also had some really great moments of serving together, and uh, we got to see each other at our best and at our worst, and we grew in our friendship, we grew in our love for Jesus, and our love for others, and our, and, and our love for one another, and then when the time was right, uh, we walked the aisle together. And, and, and when, when I know, like, you've probably heard this talk a million times, like, especially if you're single, you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot take one more, like, uh, you know, like, embrace your season of singleness talk, and I, I, I understand it. Um, and so when I say date patiently, that just really doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Um, but God is a good shepherd. We just talked about this this past week at church. God is a good shepherd who leads and takes care of us. The Bible says he's a perfect father who gives good gifts to his kids. Uh, the Bible says that God who is willing to give his life for you, that you can trust him with your heart and soul and God will care for you. And some of you in this room, you're going to have to wait. 
And God has given us himself to lean on as we journey through the life that he's given us. So Isaac in the Old Testament had to wait until he was 40. Some of you might have to wait that long. Sorry to break it to you. But it's better to wait for the right person than to not wait and regret it for the rest of your life. So here's the deal. If I trust that God gave the life of his son to care for me, to forgive me, I can trust that he cares about the deepest things of my heart and that he does, and that I hope that you'll rest in him, that, that the God who loves you commands your destiny so, so that you can wait patiently and trust him with, in him and with your heart. Psalm 118 says this, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And I pray that God in his due time would bring you the right prince or princess to love the rest of your days. But I pray that your hopes in the season of singleness would not be fixed on a prince or on a princess, but on a king. And that you'd walk with him and that you'd believe that he loves you and that he'll lead you to the right person in your time. So um, we have a little bit of time for Q&A. Okay, so Corey's got a mic back there. Um, yeah, the, the just one thing, I, the only thing I ask is just, just try not to make it super weird, but... Um, I'd love to, I'd love to try to be helpful if I if I can be. So uh, I guess you want to just raise your hand. Okay. Okay. All right. As soon as I say don't make it weird, Blake raises his hand. So. Hey, you said something striking at the beginning about how you're talking with a person who was looking for someone who loved God, someone who liked them back, and someone who, you know didn't make it weird. So let me ask you, yeah. how do you know if they love God? How do you know if they like you back? And you may not be the best person to answer this either, but how do you not make it weird? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Blake, that whole talk, man, and that's the only thing you remember. I was 30 seconds into it. No. I love Blake. Blake is my brother. I love him. Um, how do you know if somebody loves God? So the Bible is very clear. Like, you know somebody by the fruit of their life. Right, so like certain trees grow certain fruit, and I, and I get it. Like in other time, there are seasons to fruit growing too. Like there's some seasons of our life where we're like God's just really doing something's all over us, and it's like kind of really fruitful. So, like people are known by their fruit, and that's why like dating really does take like a series of time, and like you want to as much as you can evaluate somebody over a season of time, not just like the first night that you meet them. And, and it might be like, well, okay, well I'm kind of new to them, or I don't know them very well. So that's where, like, the dating and community really helps because other people who might have known them longer say, oh, my gosh, no, you picked a good one. He's a great guy. He knows a lot of stuff. Um, and so uh, as far as, like, how do you know if they love if they love the Lord? And then the last part of how do you, how do you not make it weird? Um, hmm. <laughs> so when you – dating has a lot of pressure to it, right? Or, or And even, like, the kind of, like, the pre-dating thing I put probably has like a lot of pressure too so i think the more that you try the more that you add pressure to an already pressurized situation you just cannot help but make it weird and so i think if you one if you if you manage expectations on the front end and again i'm serious like if you really if you can take like the idolatry or like the oh my gosh i have to get into relationship if you can release that pressure from it it will help you to be more natural and more normal and some people are going to be like, this is what's what I have learned like over time uh, in young adult ministry and, and kind of like in church world. They really like it. It's like it is amazing like that like s 
certain people just kind of like find each other because there's certain you know like you there's certain people you'd be like oh my gosh like who's that person going to be with and then they find someone who's like well that was pretty great lord you put somebody like totally with them like so compatible that was that was amazing so i think if you can apply that patience to it and i think if you can take the pressure off of uh, what dating will actually provide for you and manage your expectations, it'll certainly help you kind of chill out a little bit. Maybe. Anybody else? Um, so earlier you had made the comment about when you're dating, you should be dating like uh, a brother or sister in Christ. And there's also aspects of, in the Bible, it talks about guarding your heart. Um, would you say it's a good mindset to have that if, you have a fear of even being able to interact with this person who's supposed to be your brother or sister in Christ, that you can't interact with them after breaking up with them, that you're not guarding your heart well enough? Yeah, I mean, let's get real. Like, it, uh, breakups are painful. So, I mean, even I think even if you try to go through it, like, perfectly, it's still there's still going to be some pain to it. When it's talking about guarding your heart, it's talking about, like, actually, like, giving your heart over. So I'm not saying, like, like, if you interpret guarding your heart as in, like, you being a stone wall, like, you're not going to go on very many dates. I'm just, I want to tell you like that. But when you hand your heart over um, to someone who's not your spouse, like, that's when the Bible's saying, like, listen, like, be careful. Like, your heart belongs to the Lord and your heart belongs to your, to your, to your spouse. Um, but when you're just kind of like going around like handing your heart over to either uh, other people or other things, like that's probably like where we really get caught up is we just hand our hearts over to like other things that always crush us and always kill and steal and destroy from us. That's where the Bible is kind of talking about that. Um, I, I think when it, it, I mean, the reason that I bring up that whole idea of like really treating each other like a brother or sister, um, my, s I got three younger sisters. None of them have ever broken my heart um, because I've, we just don't have that level of like relationship, right? Um, and, and I think if you can really look at like the person that you're dating, like I, I wanna be in this relationship for their ultimate good. And their ultimate good is for them to grow in affection and knowledge and love for Jesus and love for others. But we don't approach relationships like that. We approach a relationship with like their ultimate good is for them to fall more in love with me. So when we enter into these relationships and we don't treat them like a brother and sister, we you we I, I think I was talking to Ray about this before. Like we use people to fill us up. Jesus emptied himself um, for the use of filling us up, right? So even in marriage, like two people who are constantly trying to empty themselves for the good of the other person, those marriages stay together for a long time, like until they die. But when you're in a relationship where I'm like, I'm always trying to take from you to fill me up, like some of you, you've been in those kind of relationships where all they do is take, all they do is take. And you think like, okay, this is actually loving, so like I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep giving until they, they absolutely, they're like vampires. They just absolutely suck everything out of you. Um, I don't know if I answered that question enough, but you kind of got me going. Do you plan your worship band? Okay, so I'm not really sure how to ask this, but like when you're getting to know someone and you don't know like if they're a believer like 
their religious life, how would you ask that without, like, saying anything scary, like, to make them doubt it? Because I know sometimes, like, I want to ask that, but then I don't want it to be, like, weird because then people aren't religious. Like, how yeah, would you? sure. Uh, you know, um, if you came to me and you said, um, hey, do you know Shannon? I was like, oh, yeah, six foot six white guy. I know Shannon. Yeah, we, we're really good buddies. Yeah, you know, he's really quiet. Uh, he's not very funny. Um, I'd be like, I don't think you know Shannon. No, 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 I totally know Shannon, right? So, like, when you really know who Jesus is and how do we know Jesus, we know him through his word, we know him through his people, we know him through times of prayer. It becomes very clear and very obvious, like, we are not talking about the same Jesus. Like, we're not, and, and I'm not talking about someone who, like, okay, like, checks boxes. Like, yeah, I go to the, that young adult thing here, and I go to this other kind of thing, and I go to this other deal. I'm talking about someone who has, like, a deep, abiding, like, intimate relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying you have to date. You don't have to date Jesus, right? Like, the person doesn't have to be perfect. But they should know who they are, right? And there should be, like, again, like, kind of, like, a pattern of them walking. So, like, I think as you begin to, like, have those conversations, it, it should become, like, the more you – this is – the more you know Jesus, the more you will know who knows Jesus, right? You write that down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe one more? What would you say to those who are in a long-distance relationship and don't get to see their significant other so often? Yeah. So my wife and I dated long-distance for five years. Um, I would say, uh, what would I say to them? Uh, for us, it was really helpful. So um, we learned how to communicate. I learned how to communicate. Um, and this was a long time ago, so we didn't have FaceTime. So it was a lot. And I had like a flip phone with minutes, right? So I know this is black and white TV, all that stuff. So, um, so we had to, like, we couldn't just like sit there and, you know, like breathe on each other through the phone. We had to actually like have something to say. Uh, we actually wrote letters too a lot, which is uh, a letter is like something with pen and paper, and you put it in this box with a sticker on it, and they send it to another person. Uh, so, uh, so it was really helpful because it helped us learn how to communicate without touching each other, um, which was which was really big for for me. Expand on that. <laughs> Right, right up here. And are we, oh, what time is this thing? Do you guys ever have to go home or do you have to go anywhere? Okay. <laughs> oh, right. Shannon, sh okay. This is, this is the true last one. Sorry. Cool. Hi. Um, Hi. Great, great stuff. Um, so early on, you, you kind of deflated the concept of dating uh, insofar as like it's, it's your married or your brother or your sister. And the, the whole thing about Christian dating is that it's defined as, as getting to know one another. Mm. Um, assuming implicitly is, is that one-on-one. -on -one. Now, um, there, there are a lot of ways and a lot of relationships in which are one-on-one, -on -one, um, like visiting office hours. I'm not dating my professors, but there's one-on-one -on -one or um, coworkers and what, whatnot. Um, and you gave, you gave in, in your talk um, some of the functions, uh, particularly the, uh, kind of the gendered roles in marriage. Um, but I was wondering, like, what is it about dating that makes it dating? And um, like, what are the gendered roles? If I, if I had to ask a, a one-on-one question, what yeah. are the gendered roles in dating relationships? Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. So, 
if I use the way of thinking to like, so there's very clear gender roles for husbands and wives. The Bible has all kinds of stuff to talk about that. And there are gender roles with brothers and sisters and what have you. The reason that dating can become so um, difficult, and, I, and when I was talking about um, the responsibilities that you have to each other, what happens in dating a lot of times is that we start to like uh, assume ownership of the person like that's my boyfriend. That's my that, like, that's mine. So, um, and 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 then we and then and then Christians take it even a step further, and they get like really weird because then they start to talk about like, well, I have to show like leadership, and I have to lead. And then like we know like uh, the Bible calls like wives to submit to husbands, and most husbands don't know what that means. So like when you're like a boyfriend, you're like you got to submit to me. And they're like it's in the Bible. I guess I better if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Kind of thing. like listen. You, as a man, have to lead yourself. And as a woman, you have to lead yourself. And, wh- and, and the, the bigger, like, uh, talk about submission is when, when Paul's talking about that, he says, look, the first thing you should do is submit one to another. So the roles that you have as, male, as, a, as a man and a woman in a dating relationship is that you are to show mutual um, and humble submission one to another which means, like, my role in your life is to lay my life down for your ultimate good and for your growing in your affection and your love for Jesus. Uh, it, my, so it's, it's not, it, like, my role in dating is, is not for me to assume some kind of, like, practice run at what I'm going to be when I'm your husband um, unless it's a practice run at how do I honor you, serve you, care for you, like protect you by not overstepping these God-given, these God-given boundaries. So the, the Bible doesn't really talk about like gender roles in, in dating because it doesn't talk about dating. Um, but it does give me some like kind of clear picture of what a husband and a wife should do. Um, and then I think it does give us a picture of what uh, how brothers and sisters kind of treat each other. So that's why in the talk when I went back to, uh, like, what are our responsibilities? Well, what is the responsibility of a brother to a sister? What is the responsibility of a sister to a, a brother? I don't know if that's helpful or not. Okay, that's all the time we got. I'm going to hang out for a little bit, so if somebody wants to else, like, talk. You can also email me uh, if you want, or, or, um, or you can email they don't email okay sorry um or you can um, meet with shannon and Corey or, or Alyssa. that'll be great for them so let me pray and uh and thank you guys for giving me a shot uh god we love you and god i do i do um i do pray for this community and god as they just navigate uh life with you and life with one another i do pray um father for their protection um and god i do pray uh god just against uh, the, the, the schemes and the devices of the enemy and the deceiver, God, and all the ways uh, that life is presented outside of you. And God, I just pray that you'd make it abundantly clear uh, that life and abundant life is found with you. Um, God, I do pray uh, there are many in the room who are, 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 are praying and are asking, God, that you would bring them uh, someone that they can share life with. And so, Father, I just pray uh, along with them. I know that's a thing that honors you. And God, in the midst of their waiting, Uh, God, would there be worship knowing that you're working. Uh, We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great night.